Section twenty eight of the Life of Mozart, Volume One by Otto Jahn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Mozart by Otto Jahn. Section twenty eight. Chapter thirteen. Part two. The Gloria is divided into several movements, conformably to the successive invocations of which it consists. The character of the whole is one of exulting praise, the tone being indicated by the opening words, Gloria in excelsis Deo. The effort to express the solemn dignity of divine worship by external splendor is apparent in the animated, fervent, and often stately progress of this movement. The opening subject is revived at appointed places, usually at the quoniam, and forms a connecting thread throughout the piece. A solo is often introduced at the words, laudamus te, and, even without much intentional expression, the four commas of the words, laudamus te, benedicimus te, adoramus te, Glorificamus te. Form natural pauses, and regulate the musical and rhythmical division of the passage. But the contrast of the solo and chorus is determined less by the sense of words than by the necessities of art, requiring variations of light and shade. As a rule, the words of highest import are given to the chorus. The solos serve for ornament, or as a preparation for a chorus of renewed and increased strength. The central point of this part of the mass is formed by the thrice-repeated cry, Qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis, qui tolis peccata mundi, suscipe deprecationem nostram, qui sedes ad dexteram patris, miserere nobis. Here we have a mood expressed of deep agitation, offering excellent opportunity for musical treatment, both in feeling and form. The qui tolis is the nucleus of all Mozart's glorias. He enunciates it simply enough through the chorus, relying for effect on the charm of rich and original harmonies as bold in conception as they are clear and decided in rendering. The words which follow, quoniam tu solus sanctus, tu solus dominus, tu solus altissimus, Jesu Christe, are treated as a song of praise. In order to relieve the gloom of the qui tolis, and to give stronger emphasis to what is to follow. For the last words, cum sancto spiritu in gloria de patris, amen, are treated without regard to the context, as an independent fugue. In Mozart's early masses the fugue is short, Kerschel numbers 49 and 65, but they soon become long and often elaborate. Kerschel numbers 60, 115, 139, 137, 192, and 269. Archbishop Hieronymus, however, had an aversion to fugues, and in Mozart's later masses the Gloria came to an end in a short choral passage. Kerschel numbers 220, 257, 258, and 259. The Credo offered the greatest difficulties to musical treatment, a long movement, whose several parts are dependent on one emphatic verb placed at the beginning, cannot be musically rendered in such a way that the connection remains apparent to the hearer. Each phrase disturbs the grammatical construction of the period. In order to overcome this difficulty, the word credo was repeated at fitting points, Kerschel numbers 192 and 257. But although logical requirements are thus to a certain degree satisfied, the repeated credo does not fit into the grammatical structure, and the contrast between the spoken and the musical expression is in reality only intensified. In close connection with this is the further difficulty that the declarations of faith belong essentially to the domain of speculation, and can rarely work directly on the feelings. Neither does the form into which they are thrown incite the fancy to musical expression. These difficulties might be surmounted at a time when music with all her powers and capacities placed herself unreservedly at the disposal of worship, accepting the prescribed words, with perfect faith in their sanctity, and only anxious to give them their fullest and truest expression.
there was as little question of individuality in art as in faith the unquestioned law of ecclesiastical infallibility impressed on every work the stamp of the subjection of art to religion even the forms of the music followed the ancient and hollow traditions of the cultus and embodied ecclesiastical formulas in strict counterpoint but as by degrees subjective emotion and expression gained ground in church music and as the old severity of form gave place to a wealth of means and expedients the ecclesiastical text fell under the criticism of the musicians who subjected it to the test of the conditions required for the production of a perfect work of art composers learned to look upon the credo as material to be worked up into an artistic musical form even when it did not lend itself easily to the process a sort of type was gradually evolved that was closely adhered to in many particulars one such for instance is the strong accentuation of death in the words judicare vivos et mortuos and resurrectionem mortuorum the tone painting of the descendite coelis the repetition of the non in the words cuius regni non erit finis and others of the same kind such an evident tendency to emphasize details at the cost of the whole only shows how composers took refuge in whatever was capable of musical expression in order to extricate themselves as far as they could from the burden of the rest the main passages on which the musical strength of the credo was concentrated are those in which the mention of the incarnation crucifixion and resurrection of christ appeal most vividly to the senses and the imagination it had become customary to connect the words qui propter nos homines et propter nostram salutem descendit de coelis whether made prominent by solo singing or not with those which preceded them and to make a pause with et incarnatus these words are generally rendered by a tender solo voice as if they would fain hover round the cradle of the heavenly child to express the gratitude of mankind for his incarnation then solemnly and sadly the chorus depicts the deep pain of crucifixus etiam pro nobis sub pontio pilato passus et sepultus est breaking out at et resurrexit etc into joyful trust in the resurrection in all this mozart's wonderful genius succeeded in awakening imagination and emotion which again his artistic moderation knew how to calm his firm grasp of his art enabling him to produce the most striking effect with the simplest means and to gather up the details so that each sustains and elevates the other without injuring the consistency of the whole credo this unusual combination of qualities gives to this part of the mass a high degree of artistic finish even when the treatment is most simple and confined the words et in spiritum sanctum are usually given to a solo voice more however from custom than for any special signification of their own kirschel numbers forty nine sixty five and one hundred thirty nine they are introduced by a long instrumental prelude kirschel number two hundred sixty two apart from the interests of the church which might have some influence here the necessity could not but be felt for a strong contrast between this and the following passages for what follows et unum sanctum catholicum et apostolicum ecclesiam etc is given by the whole strength of the chorus the last words et vitam venturi seculi amen is again treated as a fugue here again we find first a short fugues movement kirschel numbers forty nine sixty five and one hundred ninety two but later a long and cleverly worked out fugue kirschel numbers one hundred thirty nine one hundred sixty seven and two hundred sixty two until the influence of archbishop hieronymus led to the conclusion of the credo like the gloria in a short animated chorus kirschel numbers two hundred fifty seven two hundred fifty eight two hundred fifty nine and two hundred seventy five various methods were employed to gather the phrases of the creed into a consistent musical work the repetition of the word credo kirschel numbers one hundred sixty seven and two hundred fifty seven even in places where it somewhat disturbs the grammatical construction serves to combine the musical texture of the movements the periodical recurrence of the musical phrase conduces to careful mechanism and gives opportunity for variety and increased intensity in the treatment of the subject apart from this unity is provided for by a pregnant rhythmical passage 
or a carefully finished subject, which marks the beginning of the credo, and underlies its several divisions, forming a sort of background from which the more impressive images stand out. The appropriate elaboration of this subject is the special task of the artist, and the text is to be considered only as a point de départ to it. The mode of treatment varies and is sometimes contrapuntal, sometimes harmonic. In one part the voices predominate, in another the instruments, in which latter case the then favorite running passage for the violins is frequently employed. The general character of church music was more prominently displayed in the creed than elsewhere. An animated and elevated frame of mind was vividly portrayed, with more cheerfulness and brilliancy than solemnity or earnest devotion, and only at moments does the music show a consciousness of the deep significance of the text. Mozart pays tribute to his time, but his artistic nature did not allow him to sink into triviality or commonplace. Symmetry, beauty, and delicacy are never found wanting. The remaining sections of the Mass lend themselves more readily to musical treatment. They express deep and universal sentiments in words as simple as those of the Kyrie, and musical both in sound and suggestion. The Sanctus falls naturally into three well-defined parts. The first words, Sanctus Dominus Deus Saboeth, intended to convey an impression of the most exalted sublimity, are generally treated as a solemn introduction to the more animated and fervent words, Pleni sunt coli et terra gloria tua. Agitation rises into joyful emotion in the Hosanna, to which the form of a short fugal movement is usually given. The Benedictus, on the other hand, strives to express the secret thanksgiving of the heart at the coming of the Lord. A mild fervor penetrates the simple words, which seem to cast illumining beams on every side. Mozart's artistic originality has so clearly stamped the impress of his genius on the traditional form of the Benedictus that his interpretation of it has become the customary one. It is, as a rule, given to solo voices, to which more prominence is given here than elsewhere. Now and then single voices, Kirschel numbers 65, 139, and 194, but more often all the four, now alternately, now in unison, announce the message of consolation. Obligato organ accompaniments serve still further to mark the prominence given to this movement, Kirschel number 259. It has a charming effect, Kirschel number 258, when the chorus recurring at intervals during the solos enunciates with sustained expression the word benedictus. The osana is usually repeated either entire or abridged from the sanctus, but it is sometimes interwoven into the benedictus, Kirschel numbers 139 and 262. The last movement falls naturally into two strongly contrasting sections. The first, expressing the sentiments of contrition, of anguished appeal for mercy, was treated with great partiality. The cry, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, and the prayer, Miserere nobis, furnish a natural grouping not seldom employed for alternations of solo and chorus. The mood expressed is very favorable to musical treatment. The Dona nobis pacem is in complete contrast, and in no movement of the mass is the alteration in the spirit of church music more apparent. The peace which is prayed for is vividly represented, and just as vivid is the tone of cheerful confidence with which the prayer is offered. The devout hearer was to be dismissed with a pleasant impression on his mind, and therefore the deep earnestness of this petition for peace was sacrificed in order to produce a feeling of self-satisfied enjoyment. The music of the Dona maintains throughout this cheerful tone, and though Mozart's variety and grace are as marked and effective here as elsewhere, even with him earnestness and depth are rarely to be met with. We may now conclude this general description with a glance in detail on Mozart's masses. We have already spoken of his first attempts. Some unfinished masses, presumably the result of his studies under Padre Martini, exist, bearing the date 1771 and 1772. The furthest advanced, in C major, Kirschel number 115, breaks off at the ninth bar of the Sanctus. It is accompanied only by a figured organ bass, and is strictly treated with the exception of the two fugues. 
it is worked out in severe contrapuntal form almost throughout, as the Kiri, introduced by five bars of adagio, will serve to show. reminds us forcibly of padre martini's church compositions and it is not surprising that the hand of a learner should be here apparent a mass in f major kershaw number one hundred sixteen which breaks off at the words sedit ad dexterum patris is of the same kind as well as a kiri in c major kershaw number two hundred twenty one an osana in c major kershaw number two hundred twenty three and a credo in remissionem to mortuorum belonging to it seem also to have been studies in counterpoint a mass in c major kershaw number one hundred thirty nine probably belonging to the year seventeen seventy two is an effort in quite another direction every means is employed to produce an extraordinary effect and it may be conjectured that this like the pater domenicus mass was composed for some special occasion every section is treated as a detached independent movement the kiri begins with a slow pathetic passage in c minor followed by an animated allegro in c major three to four and by the criste eleison as a solo quartet after which the kiri is repeated the solo voices are much used in different combinations apart from the short passages inserted between the choruses laudamus is a duet for soprano and alto domine a duet for tenor and bass quoniam a soprano solo et incarnatus a duet for soprano and alto et in spiritum a tenor solo and benedictus a soprano solo to which the chorus sings osanna even the agnus dei begins with a tenor solo followed by a chorus the last appeal before the donna is given to the solo quartet. These solo movements are well-rounded, and are both preceded and followed by long symphonies. The effort to produce a pleasing effect is apparent in the whole work, and a moderate amount of operatic bravura is not disdained. This brings into stronger relief the pathos which is given to every passage capable of it. The quitolis, crucifixus, and agnus, as well as the kiri, are in the minor key. Striking harmonies are emphasized by means of the accompaniment and three trumpets contribute to the orchestral effects. The solemn crucifixus, follows an evident contrast immediately upon the soprano solo.
whereupon the chorus and orchestra with three trumpets fall in. But the youthful master does not neglect the display of his skill in counterpoint. Besides some few instances of more or less elaborate imitation, the two customary fugues, the first on the theme, the second, et vitam, are furnished with two subjects and every requisite for complete fugues. It is true that the strongly contrasting original ideas exist only as such, and form no united whole, so that we are all the more struck by the conventional treatment of the greater part of the work. But it must be conceded, notwithstanding, that progress has been made, and that the power is making itself felt which, with a wider field, shall produce better and more original work. The Mass composed in 1773, In Honorum Sanctu Dignitatis, Kerschel number 167, is for chorus alone, without any solo movements. It displays no very high aim, but earnestness and ability throughout. The Kyrie is long and elaborate, without any sustained subject. In the Gloria, the voices sustain the harmony, accompanied by a lively violin passage. The credo is interesting through the persistent attempt to mould it into a firm musical organism. Three motifs occur quite at the beginning, apportioned in different combinations to the voices. For instance, a rhythmical, characteristic passage, a more melodious phrase, and a running passage. These three subjects form the essential substance of the credo, the first with changing harmonies, forming the root whence the others spring at fitting places, by which means the due expression of the words and the musical exigences of the composition are alike provided for. The continuous agitation is only once interrupted, at the short but grave and dignified et incarnatus est, and at the words et in spiritum sanctum. These points are emphasized by their separation from the rest through a long symphony, and by a digressive mode of treatment which reminds one of a solo. Towards the end of the broadly elaborated fugue, et vitam, the violins return to the first motif of the credo. The voices take up the second motif with the amen, and the violins, asserting the supremacy of the first, bring the whole to a conclusion. The Benedictus is unusually grave for a chorus, but is relieved by the easy grace of the violins. The thematic treatment of the principal subject of the Donna gives it firmness and consistency. The accompaniment becomes more prominent in the middle, and the admirably well-sustained conclusion is dignified in mood and expression. The Mass in F major, Kerschel number 192, composed on June 24, 1774, is the work of a finished artist, and has rightly been placed next after the Requiem. The whole Mass, which reminds us of the finest examples of the older Neapolitan school, is in the strictest form of composition, none of the smaller sections forming an independent movement. The most delicate use is made of the simplest materials. The chorus and solos alternate throughout, the solo voices, never concerted, supplying the finer shadows to the chorus, which in return serves for response or repetition and conclusion. The accompaniment consists only of a bass, figured for the organ, and two violins, but it is independently worked out and effective both in tone coloring and as a contrast to the voices. Every section of the mass is in counterpoint, and shows the firm hand of a master. The unity of the whole and of the several parts, which is the necessary consequence of this musical method, is apparent here to a surprising degree. 
the parts combine to express and dilate upon a well-defined idea the separate features of which are not thrown together arbitrarily or by chance a subject which in one place is merely indicated or foreshadowed becomes in another the main subject in short the independence of each separate part produces the uniform clear texture of the whole thus the gloria begins with an important subject for the soprano which is the groundwork of the whole movement and now entire and unaltered now abridged or modified appears in different positions as cantus firmus while the remaining parts treated contrapuntally give due emphasis to each change of mood until the whole concludes with a grand amen in unison the same thing occurs in the credo the link here is a motif which borrowed from the intonation of the magnificat or of the gloria in the third tone has often been employed by alessandro scarlatti for instance in a mass and by michael hayden in a gradual qui sedis number three as alleluia mozart has made frequent use of it we find it again in the sanctus of another mass kerschel number two hundred fifty seven in a symphony in b flat major kerschel number three hundred nineteen composed in seventeen seventy nine in a pianoforte sonata in e flat major composed in seventeen eighty five each time easily treated as a connecting subject until it finally appears as the theme of the last movement of the symphony in c major kerschel number five hundred fifty one in the present work it recurs again and again as cantus firmus or in imitation always the bond and support of the detached articles of faith then it becomes the root of the subjects for single phrases such as the magnificent crucifixus or the confitior and the fugued et vitam we scarcely know whether to admire most the masterly skill which makes light of difficulty or the inventive imagination which can develop an idea from so many and such varied points of view making the same subject express calm faith in the credo bitter pain in the crucifixus and joyful confidence in the et vitam the sanctus and benedictus are short fine contrapuntal movements the benedictus especially simple and full of grace the agnus dei is freer in form three solo voices make the appeal which the chorus answers with miserere nobis the harmonic successions and the beautiful violin passage in the accompaniment give a peculiarly affecting character to this movement which suggests a comparison with the requiem the donna is fine and pure but the effort to give it a cheerful and agreeable tone has robbed it of depth and significance even the accompaniment of this mass has an importance of its own and there is more art and beauty contained in the two violin parts than in many a fuller score not content with giving an independent course to the voices mozart allows the accompaniment also to go its own way usually with a subject proper to it treated freely often in counterpoint and always with visible partiality inventive genius technical scholarship and deep clear comprehension are more evidently displayed by mozart in this mass than ever before the subjects have an intensity a charm of beauty which had scarcely yet been suggested here for the first time we become aware of that wonderful beauty mozart's most special endowment which we may designate sweetness if we mean by that the perfect harmony of a naturally developed artistic organism the maiden freshness of its manifestation here only increases the charm and points to future expansion the mass in d major kerschel number one hundred ninety four composed on august eighth seventeen seventy four has been rightly placed next to the one we have been considering the whole plan the strict form the flowing treatment contrapuntal throughout the mature beauty offer many points of resemblance but the effort after gracefulness is more apparent in the later mass and is achieved at the sacrifice of gravity and ideality the kyrie displays a very similar conception with the opening words of the soprano 
the foundation is laid on which the whole structure of the movement is built in part in imitative combinations in part extended into a longer subject and in part connected with opposing subjects for the voices and the violins this short theme is elaborated into a fine long movement as interesting as it is expressive the gloria and the credo do not reach the same height the contrapuntal elaboration is only apparent in isolated passages the solos are expressive but overgraceful the music proceeds in a fine flow and delights the listener but only now and then stirs deeper feelings on the other hand the sanctus benedictus a solo quartet agnus alternate solo and chorus are highly finished and tersely composed movements in which beauty of form and sentiment combine the somewhat lengthy donna preserves its pleasing character without degenerating into trifling the effort to please by mere gracefulness is most predominant in the mass in b flat major kirschel number two hundred seventy five the date of which is not known the commencement with the soprano solo is characteristic of the whole mass the solo element predominates, and a wealth of lovely, seductive, and expressive melodies is scattered around, but neither the conception nor the execution takes a deep hold on the mind. The chorus is generally full, one might almost say merry, where harmonic or contrapuntal treatment comes to the front. It is executed with masterly ease, and such passages stand out in all the clearer relief against their surroundings. The principal passage of the credo is striking. According to Lorenz, it is a reminiscence, perhaps an accidental one, of a favorite Volkslied, Bauer Hang den Pumer an. The introduction of the following theme after a highly original and striking harmonic progression cannot fail to injure the effect. The Sanctus is a short fugued movement, the Benedictus an unusually melodious soprano solo with an original accompaniment. The Agnus goes deepest, and is serious in feeling as well as wonderfully sweet. Works like the Masses in F and D major prove what Mozart was capable of in church music if his genius could have had free scope. But the rapid advance of ecclesiastical reformation in Salzburg under the wise and immortal prince Archbishop Hieronymus von Colloredo had its effect on the treatment of the Mass. The limitation of its duration and the abolition of solo singing proper and of fugues might appear to be the result of ecclesiastical rigor but Hieronymus was far more inclined to favor secular taste in church music, and he was fond besides of displaying a royal magnificence and splendor. This external influence is apparent in the conception and treatment of the later masses composed after 1775, more particularly the one belonging to 1776, Kirschel number 262, with the Kyrie and counterpoint and two elaborate fugues. Especially earnest and beautiful, both as to technical workmanship and expression, are the movements on which the musical treatment was becoming more and more concentrated, the quitolis, of which the accompaniment recalls the fugue quam olim abrahai in the requiem the et incarnatus est and agnus dei even the benedictus where the chorus answers the benedictus of the solos by osanna and the donar sustained in style how fundamentally this mass differs from that in f major is clearly shown by the ground tones of the gloria and the credo which are animated and brilliant but without any intensity or depth of meaning the same tendency is still more marked in the remaining masses Kirschel numbers 220, 252, 258, and 259. Increasing maturity is manifest in the firm and skillful handling of all available means, and the subjects display uncommon fertility of invention, but real creative inspiration is crushed by the obligation to compose after a set fashion. End of section 28. Chapter 13. Part 2.